Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another exciting coronavirus edition. No, I'm just kidding, you guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry, I had to make light of this. Uh, welcome to another exciting edition of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to tune into the show. You know, I just, just with this whole thing going on, I know with this coronavirus outbreak, I know a lot of you are just wanting to escape and just kind of want to escape reality and, you know, not hear about it. So during today's show, my guest, we do not talk about the coronavirus. It has nothing to do with the coronavirus. I just wanted to put out an episode that you guys will all love with someone who's so passionate about animals. I do want to say, though, if you are interested in hearing more about the coronavirus, please check out last week's episode. Also, if you haven't, go and check out the coronavirus video that I filmed. I put it up on my IGTV. It's also up on YouTube. It's on Facebook. It really just goes over the facts. It's visual. I include a few animals. I include several rolls of toilet paper. By the way, I have to say that was a joke. I thought it would be, you know, just funny. I'm, you know, just kind of funny to film in front of a bunch of rolls of TP and boxes of rice aroni just because everyone is stocking up. And anyway, I uh, ended up asking my parents if I could borrow some of their rolls from Costco to film this video. And then I didn't realize I would get so much, I mean, I wouldn't say backlash. I mean, but there were a lot of people like, hey, why do you have so much toilet paper? Or, hey, send some my way. And I kept on having to explain myself like, you guys, I just I just did this for, you know, just to kind of make light of the situation. It was a joke. And, you know, that's what I'm just really trying to do. I am um, just with my content on my social media, on my podcast. I'm just trying to inform you, the listener. I'm trying to put a smile on your face. I'm trying to educate you. I'm trying to entertain you. I'm just trying to make light of the situation. I know it is very, very serious, but... We really all have to just, just, just be positive, realize that this will pass, and I'm really looking forward to creating some awesome content just for all of you, and that includes right on the podcast. And today, we have such a fun guest. Her name is Olivia Dean, and she is a TV host. She's a scriptwriter, a producer. She actually has hosted several TV shows in Australia, including Creek to Coast in the United States. She hosted the San Diego Kids TV TV show, which can still be seen around the world. She was the former media spokesperson at the Australia Zoo, which just blew my mind because I was just like that crazy fan. What were the Irwins like? How was Australia Zoo? Tell me what the Crocosseum was like in person. Anyway, she's so cool. I think all of you would want to know what that was like, right? Like, well, what would it be like filming next to Bendy Irwin with an echidna? which is a mammal that lays eggs, but we'll get into that later. But I mean, I just had so many questions. And for any of you who've ever wanted to become, let's say, a TV host, or you want to work with animals in front of the camera, this is the show for you. Olivia gives you some awesome tips on how to do that. We also kind of go over what to do when you are in front of the camera, how, you know, to handle yourself, you know, how to deal with, you know, constructive criticisms, etc. It is a fantastic interview. You guys are going to learn a lot. So before we get to the show, as always, please make sure to subscribe to the show on, uh, you know, on iTunes or wherever you listen to the show. We just got on Pandora, which is like amazing. So you can find Animals to the Max on Pandora. You can listen to it on Spotify, uh, Google, CorporateMaxi.com, a variety of different platforms. Some people 
have asked how they can help the show just because it is obviously a free show. You guys are listening for free. If you do want to support the show, even if it's like a dollar, you could head on over to our Patreon page, which I will include the link in the show notes. What that money goes to, it really just goes to like, you know, web hosting fees. It goes to the website, new equipment for the podcast. I mean, all that stuff is really out of pocket. So anything helps. I know we have a lot of you who listen to the show and you guys have reached out and said, hey, I want to help. So I'm going to give you the option to do that. I will include the link in the show notes. With that said, I think we are ready. I hope you enjoy my interview with Olivia Dean. Olivia Dean welcome to the podcast thank you so much for having me we, we got there in the end we had a few reschedules but here we are we did and you know what I thought you stood me up earlier and I was like back in high school all, all over again and then I realized I got the wrong time <laughs> yeah. Queensland time we are a little bit behind Sydney yeah and I was googling Sydney time and I was anyway it's... I should have yeah yeah well thank you so much for taking the time Olivia you are I cannot wait to talk, just talk to you because you have such an amazing career. I mean, you are a TV host, you're a writer, a producer, your credentials are out of this world. And I mean, you used to, you were the former media. Well, I mean, seriously, you're the former media spokesperson for the Australia Zoo. Like it just, I, yeah. So your, your credentials are great. So I just want to dig into it and tell me your backstory, you know, you know, where you grew up and where did this all start? Absolutely. So I'm a Brisbane girl um, and I grew up every weekend heading out uh, fishing with my dad. That's sort of how my love of nature began. And we grew up in sort of a, an area that was quite bushy and had, you know, all kinds of animals walking in and out of our backyard all the time as a kid. And I was a weird little kid. I used to love collecting insects. Um, every Christmas, my parents would get me the insect collector. Um, anything sort of animal related, I loved, but really fell for the marine side of things. Um, we'd sort of snorkel every weekend. We'd go out and catch fish. And I was also the weird kid that uh, whenever dad would gut the fish to, to prepare it for dinner, I would collect the guts, squeeze the contents out of the stomach to see what the fish <laughs> had been eating so that I could figure out what these fish eat and where they're from. Super weird kid. And I'd find crabs, I'd find little squid, I'd find all kinds of stuff. But from a very young age, I was very into figuring out the anatomy of different animals. And the other strange part about me too is if we ever saw roadkill, obviously that's it was awful, but I would always be the first one to investigate it, to a poke about with a your face, well, a stick or something. Just to you sort just... of see, you know? <laughs> See the anatomy. Hold on. If you're driving, don't do this. But if you're not, Google what Olivia looks like. You do not look like someone. <laughs> I mean, who is going to be <laughs> dissecting? Yeah, you just don't fit the stereotype. You're like a young scientist. I can't even believe it. Yeah, it was. My mom thought I was a super weird kid, but she sort of got behind it after a while. She knew that that's sort of what I like to do. And and because you know, you see, you appreciate a koala looking at it in the tree. You never get a chance to really see it up close uh, as a kid. But I would see one. Unfortunately, if it was roadkill, I'd sort of check it out and and figure out its anatomy and got really interested in stuff like that. So then, uh, at school, I knew that that's the direction that I wanted to go. And um, studied the right subjects to get into marine biology at the University of Queensland. Um, got through that degree, but towards the end, uh, as we were learning to dive, I realized I had issues with my ears and I could no longer dive. So I had to sort of change courses a bit there from marine to terrestrial. So I started work at Australia Zoo um, in the roving entertainment department, which was absolutely awesome. It really sort of changed my perspective from marine to terrestrial and, and I was really into it. I, uh, in the roving entertainment department, 
it's our job to share these animals with the public and, and teach them through uh, different demos. So we do tortoise demo and koala demo and we'd get on the mic and just explain, you know, everything about these animals to the audience. We'd also bring the animals around to education talks and I absolutely fell in love with that. But what I really wanted to do was uh, there was a girl uh, I used to work with, her name's Lauren, and she looked after the entertainment side of things and the media side of things. So whenever our local stations would come in for a new baby animal or, or whatever was happening at the zoo that was exciting, she looked after it. And I loved that she did that. So I started to help her out a bit and, and come along and watch her and learn from her because I was still really young at this point. I think I was sort of 22 and I just started my master's at the time um, uh, in communication. So I wanted to go back to uni to learn more about how to communicate this, this knowledge that I had and I was acquiring at Australia Zoo with the rest of the world. So I did a communications uh, master's at UQ whilst also following Lauren around and learning how to talk in front of the camera because it's so different, as you would know. You know, you talk to, to someone one-on-one -on -one or even just in a group with a mic, but the second you have a camera on you, it's so different and you've got to be able to get that message across as, as clearly and concisely in a nice little package as well. You've probably done interviews before where you've chatted to them for 10 minutes and they use, like, three sentences so you you end yeah. up trying to figure out yeah and, and i am not blowing smoke but you are a very 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 good host you're really good on camera oh Corbin, can we talk every day please no no but you are though and there are some people in the business who i'm just like how did they get where they are and you know what i mean you're kind of like really or just they don't you just you have that it factor and was that something you always grew up with like did you like entertaining because i feel like I feel like you have to be born with some of this because you can't, I don't know. I just like, you can't, some things you just can't teach. Some, some have to be innate, you know? It was, um, there was, mum recently showed me a video of me in kindy. I don't know if you guys have kindy in the U S do you? It's it, like it, kindergarten. Okay. Like kindy. kindy, like, like four. Yeah. Oh, four okay. years old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or actually, no, it's actually preschool. Preschool, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Well, we call it kindergarten, kindy. I like kindy better. Um, and I was in a lineup for a Christmas show or whatever, and I was just the weirdest little kid, honestly. Kids are standing there, and I'm just grooving away, and I'm, you know, bumping the other kids to sing along, and just very embarrassing, just over-the-top child, I think. But my parents really nurtured that, and they, they made sure that um, I was in the debate team as well. I used to get out in front of people all the time. Me you know? too. <laughs> I was in debate too. I was awful at it because I thought you could just go in and argue. And that is not how they taught us here in this. It was not like that at all. It was like a bunch of paperwork. Wait, yeah, wait. you got to be able to argue. I think you would have done well. No, we, we were not supposed to argue. I remember I was uh, <laughs> I was so bad at debate. I don't anyway. Uh, yeah, I was in debate team anyway. Yeah. Were you good at the debate? debate team's good. It's where it's at. It's sort of, it's a good opportunity to learn how to talk uh, in front of people. And then after that, I just, I entered a few competitions in my high school for public speaking and um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it, especially sort of going down, making people laugh is, is what I really enjoyed doing and being able to then piece that together with my other passion, which was animals, was perfect. So while I was at Australia Zoo and sort of, sorry, we got off track a bit there. Um, oh, I totally learned show is. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we'll get back. Um, yeah, I used to follow Lauren around and um, anyway, she got another job. Uh, so she left and I was lucky enough to take over from her spot. Thank uh, God. And that was perfect. I know, I absolutely loved it. So she looked after the show 
Um, if you've ever been to Australia Zoo, have you been to Australia Zoo? I have not. I, of course, have used to oh. watch it on the crocodile, you know, the croc diaries, yes. all that type of stuff. Then you would have seen uh, the world famous Crocosseum, uh, the oh. 5,000. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Of course. So that is where we do our shows every day. So we had an amazing team of, of wonderful presenters. Uh, and every day we'd get out there and we'd, we'd do our show. There'd be bird girls and boys and then we'd have the croc boys and uh, the host, which was part of our team, we would go out and you know piece it all together. So it was my job then to look after that show and the presenters and to train them and to teach them how to uh, be confident in what they were saying and you know if they needed any help or practice or anything, I was there for them. So I absolutely love that. I did that for a number of years. Um, and then, yeah, the, the, the media side of stuff. I remember my very first, like it was yesterday, my very first media interview was about a baby echidna puggle. It had just been born and I was like, excuse my language, absolutely shitting myself. So, <laughs> like, because it was so, because it was so, it was so cute. <laughs> yeah. And Lauren was there with me. This was like just before she left. And she's like, you'll be fine. You know, just talk about it. And I had practiced about 15 different lines in my head of things that they would ask me. And of oh. course, they asked me none of the things that I'd practiced. And of I'm course. just word vomiting everything I could think of. And I, it was painful, but afterwards I still had such a high after doing it and I still get that now um from that that obviously that wasn't live that was pre-recorded and that's fine so if you say something you don't like you just do it again but then um I started to do a bit more and then I did my very first live cross um for one of our local stations channel seven and that was very intimidating I was doing a live cross about a giraffe now cross and is giraffe. that cross can you explain what a cross is uh, for the audience would be um so the, the cameras are there for channel seven uh the, the rest of the hosts are back in the studio I've got the earpiece in and it's it's live so whatever's happening to me at that exact moment is happening on national television around our country so we were uh naming a brand new baby giraffe uh and all I had to do was just talk about the, the mom and the dad and the baby and how everything's going nice and simple. And I had this, the, the father, his name's Forrest, big giraffe, big male giraffe's head right here. And the keepers were like, you know, just feed him some carrots. He'll be right. Um, but two seconds before I went live, they're like, just make sure you constantly feed him carrots because he starts to get a bit impatient if you don't. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we're in the middle of a live cross and I'm feeding carrots over the back of my shoulder constantly. I've run out of carrots about two questions in and I can see his head swinging up and he's coming to swing down to have another carrot. And if I did not duck, that would have been it for me. So I've ducked out of frame, let him swing past and I've come back up. It was very intense. You just got to keep going with it though. You know what it's like working with animals on TV. Like whatever they do, yeah, just keep going. I've, I've been pissed on. I've uh, been bitten. Like it's just, you just have to keep going. That's, that's the rules, but that's fine too. Like that. I love that as well. So after about three years of working in Australia Zoo, <laughs> I learned so much and had some incredible moments and thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and then just towards the end of my uh, time at Australia Zoo, they started a brand new uh, online subscription called Crikey Club. Um, I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's, it's uh, Terry Owen had found all of this unseen Steve Owen footage. And she wanted to be able to share that with the public. So she came to sort of uh, the, the audiovisual department and got us together and said, you know, what, what can we do? And the team came up with the idea of creating these little stories and putting them on this, this uh, outlet called Crikey Club. And we would tie up these old Steve stories that everybody wants to see and, and add on new content, you know, new things that are happening, new animals arriving at the zoo and 
there's always something cool happening at the zoo. So that was our job then to go around every day and create a new story um, for Crikey Club. And I absolutely loved that. That's when I started to learn to write uh, and produce and figure out what shots we needed and how things were tying together. And I learned so much on how to do all of that. And a huge testament to the boys that I work with from, from the team. They taught me so much. And um, after about sort of six months of doing that and I uh, was very lucky. Uh, the director of San Diego Zoo Kids TV was over uh, in Australia and talking to some people from Australia Zoo. And she had mentioned that they were looking for a new host for San Diego Zoo Kids TV. And that's a similar concept. It's like short little videos um, that uh, go to children's hospitals around the world. And I just, I thought about, I was like, oh, San Diego, you know, the other side of the world. Why not? Like, I'll just, I'll go for it. They're looking for a host. I may as well have a little crack, put my name forward. So I put together a bit of a show reel and, and a cover letter and I sent it off to her. I got shortlisted um, and then had to go through an interview process very much like this, pretty much in this exact same spot. Had to have a Skype interview with the people in the US and uh, I got the job, which was awesome. And I had sort of eight weeks of time to get the visa organized to live on the other side of the, the world by myself. And I couldn't have my husband with me. His work was uh, very specific to where we live. Um, so I made the decision to go over and packed up my bags and off I went and started a brand new job in 2016 October uh, for San Diego Zoo Kids TV. So that was uh, a huge move. Um, yeah, it was bloody intimidating doing it by myself, but it's, you know, US is, you guys are very similar to us and you're like sort of our, our big brother in a way, like you do a lot of the same things, but bigger. That's yeah. how we sort of look. Um, but it was, yeah, it's pretty intimidating when you are, oh, I would have been 24, 25. Um, and I remember unpacking and sitting in this hotel room, like, what have I done? Where am I? Yeah. <laughs> what is this? What? this it is crazy. Your career is just, I, I, I can't even believe it. I mean, it's just, what? Okay, so let's go back to your early days at the Australia Zoo. And by the way, everyone's wondering what that was like. And I'm confused because at the, at the Australia Zoo, obviously famous, made famous by the crocodile hunter, Steve Irwin, but they have the kids. How were you able to become a media spokesperson? I thought they just always used the Irwins. I'm so confused. I thought there'd be no opportunity. Yes. Well, they're, they're very busy, the Irwins. And, you know, obviously when anybody talks to Australia Zoo, they want to speak to the Irwins. But uh, during the time that I was there, they were spending a lot of time in the US. Bindi was doing Dancing with the Stars. Um, they were just not available a lot of the time. Uh, so between when Lauren was still there, it was between her and myself. And it's just there's just so many um, media interviews that are requested pretty much every week, you know. Um, so it, the, the Irwins, even if they were there every day, I don't imagine would be able to cover every single thing, you know. Every time there's a giraffe born or a new baby echidna or a crop gets moved or it's Joey season and there's koalas everywhere, there's always something uh, that the, the news would like to report on. Then there's, you know, people come in and want to do snippets for documentaries or something. So it's all, it's all, uh, it's filtered down. It's filtered down to me. It was by no means my decision, you know, which one I could do. Um, it would be up to the PR and communications department as to, uh, you know, if the Owens were away, can someone else do it kind of thing. So, okay. it, yeah, just very lucky that there was always something amazing happening at the zoo and, and uh, yeah, Lauren or myself and now a, a, a uh, Daisy, I'm not sure if you know Daisy. Daisy takes care of a few of them now uh, at Australia Zoo, and okay, there's always an opportunity for so many different keepers to have a have a go and and talk about their field and their animals, you know, to the media. 
That is so cool. I've been trying to get the Irwins on for years and I am with, <laughs> I need, I'm dealing with their PR person and they're like, Oh, they're busy. Oh, they're starting season, whatever of animal planet. I'm just like, come on. Like, I'm like, yeah. I'm trying to get them on so bad. Anyway, I need to talk to hopefully. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm getting an idea of how busy they are. <laughs> they're so they're always, they're so yeah. busy. Did you ever have someone come to the zoo, a media person and expect the Irwins? And they're like, Oh, you know, always. always? Yes. <laughs> Oh, I'm kidding. I'm like, oh, you're not Bendy, and I'm like, yes, I'm. Did you ever have someone? <laughs> you ever have someone ever mistake you as Bendy, like who doesn't, who's not really a fan? No, no, not really. But any time that you wear your, your Australia's a uniform, like you'd finish work and go to the shops or whatever, get some groceries, and people would go, oh, Bendio, and just sort of as a bit of a a joke. But that that only that sort of happens. I never actually got mistaken for Bendy. Do they? really like walk around the zoo and stuff or is this like i mean i've asked my friends do they absolutely i've asked my friend brandon and zookeeper dan they said they do and they're actually there's like really i was lucky enough to do a couple of little shoots with bindi as well it was just before i'd properly you know met her for more than two seconds to say hey we were doing an echidna story together she was holding one and I was holding one. And, and if anyone's listening doesn't know what an echidna is, it's a very spiky little animal. It has lots of little quills all down it. And it was, mine was really wriggling and it was pushing against my chest and I could feel it starting to, to really get me. And I was like, play it cool, Olivia. Play it cool, Bindi Owens right next to you. Everything's fine. And she leans over to me and she's like, is that echidna spiking you? Because mine's, mine's really spiking me. And I was like, oh, she's... <laughs> Okay, I can relax. Yes, so we both just sort of put them down and waited a little bit and picked them back up. I can't even remember what what story we were doing. It might have been a crikey club, but she's lovely and she's so like obviously you sort of see them on TV all the time and you think, oh, you know, they must be like that all the time. But they're just they're all very normal and you know they just live their life and she's just grown up in front of the camera and she's she's amazing. She's passionate about conservation and Robert is is like the coolest little kid ever, but he's not even little anymore. No. He's, no, he's like a man now. And his and voice is like getting deep. Like it's like, hey, I'm Robert. And it's like, what the hell happened to Robert's voice? Like I remember him watching. Yeah. yeah. He's on his scooter and he'd scoot around all the time. That's I used to see I him on Zoo Road. Like he's, yeah, he, he used to be a little kid. And now he's like full on human man. <laughs> I'm not ready for it. Yeah, I'm not either. Yeah, that's really, that's good to know. You know, and I work here in the U.S. on shows like the Today Show. I used to work on the Tonight Show and appear on these shows and all of, it's a very small world, as you know, in TV. And uh, yeah. everyone knows everyone. And all of my producers who've worked with the Irwins, they had nothing but nice things to say and say they're exactly how you'd expect them. I mean, there's no, yeah. I mean, camera, camera on, camera off. They were just the Irwins. And it's so refreshing to, you know, to hear that from you. They've, they've done so much incredible work and the best part, I think, of Australia Zoo is the Australia Zoo Wildlife Hospital. What they have achieved there is is magic. It's incredible. And uh, part of my job, I got to spend a little bit of time down there filming the vets and the vet nurses and capturing some of the most incredible stories. And they're so passionate too. So it, it, if you ever sort of had a bit of a down day or, you know, you weren't, weren't happy with what you were doing for the day, you'd head down to the hospital and it reminded you why you were in this industry and why, why you're here. Wow. Wow. So yeah. you were, so you were doing that for how many years at Australia zoo? I was at Australia zoo for three years until I got, uh, found out about the, the job offer for San Diego zoo kids TV. Really? And then I jumped ship. Yes. Okay. So there's a lot of people listening who one day want to work with animals. Some people who even want to become a TV host, 
what are some, I mean, can you give us some, some pointers for anyone listening maybe who wants to pursue that path? Absolutely. So what I would recommend is filming yourself. Sorry, my light bulb just went out. (laughs) I was like, what happened? (laughs) My face just, my face just got dark. I'm so sorry. That's, that's just an effect of the show, Olivia. It's it's special effects. Okay. I might want to turn turn my light down as well. A bit of a candle lit discussion. (laughs) Let me return. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Yeah, filming yourself. Uh, Even if it's, you're talking about a stick insect in front of you, set up a camera, see how you sound on camera. It's, it's quite intimidating to talk to something that you will then watch back. That was the other thing too that I really struggled with was watching myself back. But that is something that's crucial as well because then you get to see what everybody else is seeing. I used to cringe. I'd hear it on, on the news at night, you know, if we covered a story or whatever, and I'd, oh, I don't want to hear it, I'd turn it off. But I've come now to learn to watch it, and it, it helps so much because you'll see a certain expression or or the way that your voice sounds in a certain area, or, or when you're interviewing someone, it's crucial to be able to critique yourself and, and move forward based on those sort of little critiques. But definitely film yourself, start out with just your iPhone or whatever you've got, find a little critter, learn about it, do a bit of research for an hour or something, get your head filled with all of that information and have a crack. See how you go, then do it again and do it again and do it again and get to a point where you've done one that you think is actually you know, not too bad and share it. Share it on social media. Let people have a bit of feedback. And that's interesting too. I was, I was watching your stories the other day and uh, feedback can be, can be interesting. You get some people that aren't, you know, 100% into what you're doing. <laughs> you know what? I, I, you saw that story? Yeah, that was like my first troll. I had my first troll, ladies and gentlemen, and she yeah. was awful. <laughs> and she was just, and she completely took, and this is how the media is, took my video and took it out of context and was like, just accusing me of certain things and I'm so passionate. And so, yeah, I called her out on my lives. You would be surprised. So many people messaged me and were like, you know, like with me and like, it's okay. Like people were so passionate. Like my fan base were like, don't worry about her. You know what I mean? Some people were like feed her to the alligators. And I was like, Oh, that's, you can't do that. Anyway. So sorry, go ahead. Thank you for watching that. I absolutely like I That's what I wanted to talk to you about as well. Like that's, and I don't want people, you know, if you have young listeners that are into taking a path in front of the camera, that's something that will come with it. And I sort of had to learn the hard way a couple of times and, and there will be things, uh, topics that will be controversial that some people won't be okay with and you cannot please everyone. And um, the first sort of times you'll get a troll, it really makes you sort of question everything. You think, hang on a second, no, that's just some idiot that has nothing to do with what I'm doing, has no idea what I'm up to. And it just, you have to remember uh what you know is correct in this. I'm talking about, you know, your snake. Uh, what you were doing was correct. And you have to stand by what you know is true and not listen to the stuff that comes out of other people's mouths. But, yes, that would definitely be a tip of mine as well is trying hard to ignore um, any sort of trolls that come your way. Yeah, and really quick, just so because listeners might not follow my IG story, my Instagram, uh, just really quick, I was soaking my pet Burmese python buddy who I've had for 17 years, for 17 years, in a tub to help him with his shed. He had started shedding and then he couldn't get it all the way off, so I put him in the tub. Anyway, and people were going crazy and this one lady's like, you're abusing the snake and you're hurting him and the shed's not ready to come off and the humidity's off and it's just like, you just want to scream. So that's why I was, that's how I got a troll. Okay, so you're at Australia Zoo for three years. You see the golden opportunity and you audition and you land this audition and you literally take the plunge to San Diego. 
yeah, that was that was wild. Packing everything that I owned as well into two and a half suitcases and, and off I went. So they had uh, kindly given me a month to stay uh, in a hotel um, on them so I could figure my life out. Otherwise, I would not have known what I was doing. So the, my, um, uh, my boss was absolutely amazing. She picked me up from the airport, took me under her wing. We went straight to Bank of America, had to get my cards organized. Like you don't realize how much stuff you just you need in another country when you completely move up. Had to uh, do a driver's license again, like sit the test, um, because obviously in Australia we're on the other side of the road and the other side of the car, so I needed a license in order to drive the San Diego Zoo vehicles, so that was interesting. Um, I had one of my colleagues take me for a couple of runs and he, he would okay, try and get me to do a reverse park, but being on the other side of the vehicle is very different and a little bit strange. We got there in the end, so... Passed that, got my license, got all my bank cards and uh, healthcare and doing all of that. So it really took a while to get everything straightened out. Uh, then finding a place to live was interesting. Finding a roommate, um, you know, somebody that I know or trust, which was absolutely no one at that point. So uh, I was very lucky that I, I found a friend of a friend who lived in San Diego and, and she was amazing and one of the most amazing people I've ever met. And she really looked after me as well and uh, showed me the ropes until I was good to go on my own and, uh, San Diego is very similar to where I live here in Queensland. I live in a place called Sunshine Coast, and it's very coastal. Everybody's got a surfboard. It's very relaxed, so I felt I felt right at home. So the um, the very first week at work for San Diego Zoo Global, uh, we were off on a trip to Arizona, and it was hitting the ground running pretty much. So our our job, uh, the San Diego Zoo Kids team. We create content for hospitalized children in 11 different countries around the world. Uh, and it's our job to tell the stories of different zoos and wild places to capture these incredible moments uh, and help the kids feel like they're outside, distract them, you know, while they're going through all kinds of different surgeries and treatments. And uh, it was very intimidating, actually, to go to the hospital for the first time to meet, to meet kids. It was... I had to take myself out of the room for a minute and I, I don't know if any listeners have ever been to a children's hospital or experienced a, a small child who is extremely ill. It's very confronting. They shouldn't be there. They should be outside playing and, and exploring and being a yeah. kid and seeing that. was It was extremely confronting. And I had to sort of take a minute and my colleague was like, you all right? Was, yes, I'm, I'm all right. Just trying to get it together because we're, we're the fun, you know, we can't be the ones going in there feeling, having that look on our faces that I imagine they see all the time. So I had to pull myself together, get back in there and provide, you know, some fun and some entertainment. So wherever we go to film at zoos and, and, and uh, wild places, we visit the local hospital um, and we either launch our channel there or our channel's already there and we meet some of these kids and we get to hear their stories and we, we, find out, you know, the first time that they fell in love with an animal. We ask them what they want us to film. They'll say, you know, we, kids say the weirdest stuff, but it's so good. I, I love it. We were feeling a, a snake. We brought a snake and I said, what do you think it feels like? He says, oh, it feels like an avocado. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I've never heard that before. Neither but have right. I. They, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. They just say the strangest things and, and we'll interview the kids and uh, we put them on the channel as well so they see themselves and it's it's cool how just for that, you know, half an hour period, they get to talk about something other than the cancer treatment or whatever it is that they're going through and they can just relax and just tell me about their pet dog and 
um, uh, where they want to visit when they grow up and so those sorts of things. It's really heartwarming and it's such a reality check to when, you know, you think about in the morning, you got in the car and you thought, oh, gee, I'm really hot today. Who cares? You know, you're, you're walking and you're outside and you're, you're healthy. It just is such a reality check. So after we meet these incredible kids, um, it just gives us another huge burst to want to go and make these cool, exciting, new, different stories. And um, so I, in that, I was there for two years. Um, and in that time, we traveled to, I think, 17 different states in the US. Wow. We went to Mexico. We did Singapore Zoo. Um, we headed back to Australia um, and filmed at Lone Pine Koala Sanctuary in Brisbane while I still worked for San Diego. So that was really cool. And we launched in um, a hospital in my hometown. So that was amazing. I got to see all these Aussie kids. And um, when I was with my American team, we were chatting to one of these little Australian boys and he had a broken leg. And I was like, oh, mate, how did you break your leg? And he said, oh, I fell off my motorbike and ran into a roo. And I was like, welcome to Australia, guys. This is how... <laughs> He was wicked. He was a really cool little kid. Um, but yeah, so uh, after that, I, it became quite difficult for me to be on the other side of the world away from my family and my husband and my dog was very old and there were so many different things that were, were drawing me home and I, I really missed home. So every three months I would visit home. Um, so I'd save up enough annual leave and money and jump on a plane. Anyone who's done that trip from Australia to the US knows that it's not cheap. So doing that every three months was... Um, it was hard. Um, so I absolutely adored my job. I loved it more than anything. And I wanted to be able to somehow make that work, make both the worlds work. So I pitched an idea uh, that if we could start a San Diego Zoo Kids TV branch in Australia and have our team in Australia get content from our country and send it back to the US uh, while they had, you know, everything running as usual back in the mm -hmm. States. So that way there was double the content, you know, coming onto the channel and um, how good are Aussie animals? So I'm, I'm pitching my heart out over here trying to, trying to get them to say yes. Uh, and after sort of about three months of back and forth, they said yes. And I uh, got in contact with a production company that I've worked with before here in Australia and got them on board. And uh, yeah, we, the last 12 months have been generating content in Australasia, so New Zealand as well. Uh, and, and going to these amazing places in our own country and, and telling these stories from home and packaging them up and sending them back to the US um, so they can put it on the channel and distribute it to the rest uh, of the facilities that have San Diego Zoo kids. So that is where we're up to at, in my life at the moment. Wow, you're quite a loser. Um, so I, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Your face like stunned for a second. Like, uh, I was like, oh, I'm yeah, sorry, Corbin doesn't uh, like uh, No, Corbin, no. I, you are just accomplished so much. And I love that. How, you know, you just asked and you pitched an idea. And some people even listening to this need to know, like, if you have an idea or a dream, just go for it. You can ask. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? They can say no, and that's it. Exactly. Yeah. And that was a huge fear of mine. I really didn't want to have to choose between my family and an amazing job, but it got to that point. And you're right. It got down to the point where I was like, I have literally nothing to lose here. I, I have to go home. Um, it's, it's time. So I'm going to take them with me. You guys are coming. And I just sort of pitched them and I said, how good is this going to be? And it's going to be great. And I'm so grateful that it worked out too, because 
that team is incredible. The the team, the San Diego Zoo Kids team and the San Diego Zoo Global team, I've never been more proud to work for an organization in my life. They are incredible. And I'm so grateful that they were keen to have us on board and they, they love the content too. They love the Aussie animals coming through. So that's really good. Um, and we get to meet Australian kids as well and put them on the channel. So that's, that's super cool too. And we did uh, last November, um, we did a massive launch in, in Sydney, Adelaide uh, and Melbourne, which was really cool. So um, a, few more, a few more Australian facilities have got San Diego Zoo kids on board, which is cool. That is amazing. So let's talk about your adventures around the world. I am so jealous. Okay, so let's talk about it. And I know you've worked very, very hard, but I'm still super jealous. But uh, let's no, let's talk about some of these awesome ex- places you've gone and some amazing animals you've worked with. Like when I say let's talk about some amazing places, what's the first place that comes to mind without even thinking? In your, in your country, actually. Uh, it's Yellowstone National Park is by far the most incredible, eye-opening magical place I've ever been in my life and I tell everyone that who asks we were only there for four days we were shooting uh we're just doing a a general story of Yellowstone and in that time we had seen grizzlies we saw uh, a moose with her baby we saw we saw coyotes we saw bisons with their babies it was unbelievable every corner we drove through was just a postcard it it was just, it was spring, so all the flowers were out too and every animal was out enjoying all the flowers and the fresh air. It was unbelievable. It was, I grew up watching David Attenborough, uh, Planet Earth and BBC and loving all of that and I was, I was in it. I was in one of his episodes and I was driving through and I could see that there's practically a bison giving birth on my right and then this wolf over here was going to eat the bison and then it didn't, it was crazy. It was just this insane BBC moment and it was only four days but it was magic. I absolutely loved it and that will always forever be unbeaten for me unless something else incredible comes up. But that so far is number one. Can you, you're going to hate me for even saying this. I live only five and a half hours away from Yellowstone and I've never been to Yellowstone and I'm 30 what? years old. Right. I, I know. <laughs> I, I'm speechless. Maybe like six hours. It's, I know. I just have never gone. I'm in Idaho. I've never gone. It's on our list this year. My wife and I have a list and it is on our yeah. list because it's like we live so close. This is ridiculous. Like I've been to Africa and I've been to their national parks several times and I have not gone to our greatest – one of our greatest national parks. I know. Did you just lose like well, this much respect for me? Probably. Yeah. yeah well. I, um, no, I get it though because for me in my country, I haven't been uh, to Exmouth, which is in, in Western Australia, which is an absolutely incredible, amazing place. It's only six hours flight away from me but it's the same sort of thing. You know, We live in these countries – with these incredible places and we don't go there. I think it's, we're even worse for it when we live really close. It's just like, ah, yeah, I'll go there next year. I'll go next year. It's really close, but no, pack your damn bags. Corbin, <laughs> yes. And you went at an excellent time. My buddy, uh, Casey Anderson, he's, he hosts some Nat Geo programs and he works in Yellowstone, but he said, May is the best time to go. Springtime here is the best time to go. You went at the perfect time. It, I'm just literally picturing it now and oh, going through, um, I think it was Bear, Beartooth Pass. Is that right? I, I've never, <laughs> I've never been. I mean, yes, that's right, Olivia. Uh. <laughs> yeah, sure. Beartooth Pass sounds good. I think it's because yeah. uh, we were filming at Zoo Montana with Jeff. Oh, Jeff. And, okay. Yes. I Jeff, mean, the nature yeah. guy. Jeff's hilarious, by the way, but yes, Jeff. I loved it. It's amazing. And um, we tacked on the Yellowstone story on the end of our visit. And Jeff told us, make sure you go through 
uh, bear tooth pass. He'll kill me if I got that wrong. I'm pretty sure it's bear tooth pass. Ninth Central. And he said it's the most magical drive ever. So we had come in from the Montana angle. Uh, and it's all up these mountains and it's, they're all snow capped. It was insane. I had, I literally had my phone out the window recording as we were driving because I just couldn't, I couldn't get my head around it. And my, the cameraman that I was with, he would laugh because I'd make him stop so I could take a picture of a deer, which I imagine for you guys. <laughs> for me, I don't see a lot of deer. That's like when Americans come to Australia and any Aussies that are listening will get this. They take pictures of the bloody bush turkeys or um, eastern water dragons or animals that we see all the time that we think are a bit whatever. But deers, yes, I was out. Squirrels, same thing. But as soon as really? we got to Yellowstone. Oh, yes, so... I'm embarrassing. I'd be out picking the roadkill as well. <laughs> they knew that too. They had to stop and let me touch the roadkill. Obviously, you know, with a stick or some gloves that don't, don't condone touching with their hands. Yes. Um, but anyway, we got, we got to Yellowstone and uh, it absolutely blew my mind. But some of the other places that we've been to recently uh, in Australia, uh, Kangaroo Island was another one that absolutely was just such a magical, pristine place. It's what it's what we strive to do is to conserve these places, and you get it when you go there. You, oh, you hear about conservation, how important it is that if you live sort of a city lifestyle, you never really get to see why conservation is so important. You go to a place like Kangaroo Island where they are so strict about what you can bring onto the island and what you can take off the island, and you get it. You think, okay, now I understand. This is what we aim for. This place is incredible. So um, we were filming uh, just a, a generic sort of piece about the island and uh, we were taken around by some incredible tour guides from um, exceptional kangaroo island tours and they showed us all these little places for uh, koalas and kangaroos and we found these different Tamil wallabies. We saw uh, Australian sea lions breathing on the, on the sand like it was absolutely magic and then three months later uh, the fires ripped through mm. and took out 60% of kangaroo island and the pictures that came back i had the exact same picture on my phone of this place that and then i saw the the picture that was sent through of what it looked like now it broke my heart to see what the devastation had had caused and it, it i'm sure you've heard so much about the fires and how it's all going and that's sort of been the focus of our stories the last couple of months has been telling these these stories of hope um uh, really putting a spotlight on people that are quite remarkable in what they do. There's a lady by the name of uh, Dr. Kelly Lee, and she works for Science for Wildlife. And we met her in uh, the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. Mm -hmm. And she is, she's incredible. She saw how bad the fires were going to be, and she was tracking all these koalas at the time. And she said, I've got to get them out of here. They're going to burn if I don't remove them. So she got special permission from the government to remove these wild koalas, which is impossible to do. Like you can, you're never allowed to remove a healthy wild animal. It just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So she's had to really fight for it. She got permission to do it. They gave her two days. So she got a team together of climbers um, and trackers, and they got 12 koalas that were they were very and a very important genetically diverse population of koalas as well. They were some of the most genetically diverse koalas in Australia, and they didn't have chlamydia either. So she managed to capture them and she saved them. And within two or three days, that entire area was completely and utterly wiped out. Mm. Just ash, burnt, black, horrific. So we went down to interview her um, and it was a couple of weeks later after the fact and all the trees were 
I, I literally couldn't even get my head around. You see the images obviously on, on Instagram and Facebook and you've seen everybody talk about it, but being there and the weirdest part was there was not a sound. Oh. There was so when you go when you're in the forest anywhere, you hear the birds and you hear scurrying on the ground, or there's insects um, and there's flies and there's crickets. There was just giving nothing. Me, giving me chills with that. That's just Yeah. It absolutely gave me chills being there too. And our, our cameraman just stood there and we both just looked at each other like, what has happened? And it was just for miles. Just ash, there's ash on the ground, the trees are black. I touch the trees and they just just fall apart in your hands. Like it was awful. Uh, and what she sort of told us sort of stuck with me is that I said, oh, you know, how many animals have you had come through? You know, have you seen lots of burnt animals? And she said, it's heartbreaking because we haven't, they just haven't survived. So it's not like you've got a lot of animals coming through that are injured, that so many of them just never made it to the point where someone could rescue them. But she and her team, she has a team of volunteers, uh, they built these drinkers, drink stations, mm-hmm. that they have the trees for arboreal animals and um, they built them on the ground for uh, your ground-dwelling animals. And we, we followed her for a day and just got to watch. She's, the, she's like the real deal. Like I just was so inspired by her. Some people talk about it and, you know, she, she does it. She has the ideas and she makes it happen. Um, so for days, like they spend their time volunteering and putting out these water, water stations for animals. And she was really securing the groundwater station. I said, gee, you're really securing that? What's going on there? And she's like, well, actually, the wombats come in and they kick up the water station and they sort of drown themselves in the water and then just leave. And, and then all the water is completely wasted for everybody else. So she's really had to secure them so the wombats don't ruin it for everybody else, which I thought was very entertaining. Fortunately, uh, time about camera traps to see who was using them uh, but she that's something else she does as well so if anybody's listening and they're keen to track what she's doing head to science for wildlife and have a look uh, then the, the following month we headed down to victoria which is another part mm-hmm. of the areas that mm-hmm. were burnt mm-hmm. uh, and followed a scientist um uh he is a platypus ecologist yes Josh that's Griffith. what I, yep i saw on your instagram i was like oh yeah. okay go ahead sorry Really cool. Yeah. So he, another incredible scientist, like this is what I mean about our job. We're so lucky to meet these people and tell their story. It's, I just get so inspired. So we met Josh um, and he does what's called eDNA. So he samples the water to test for platypus DNA. Um, So he had, I think it was like 1500 sites or something that he was testing in Victoria. And 100 of those sites were uh, burnt, affected by the fires. So he then finally got permission to go back into these areas because so many of these areas were completely shut down. You were not allowed to go in unless you were uh, a fireman or a policeman or uh, someone official that was allowed to be in there. So he finally got permission to head back in and we followed him in. Um, and it, the other thing you don't realise too is when you think of a bushfire, you think, oh, yes, all the terrestrial animals are in trouble and um, everything is sort of burnt on the ground. But what you don't realise is the streams and the lakes and the rivers have this disgustingly thick layer of ash. Everything is is murky. It's not clear anymore. Like you would run your hands over the rocks and my hand was just covered in black, thick, it was like paint. Mm. And it was all over the rocks, all underneath the rocks, um, are little insects normally, because he would lift them and he showed me, say, hey, this is where all the little insects live that the platypus like to eat. And he would turn it over and it was just this thick, paint, black, disgusting Mm. mess. So the, the insects are dying, so there's no food for the platypus to eat. Their coats, uh, their fur is covered in ash. The fish don't have, they can't get enough oxygen. It's just, there's such a knock-on effect that 
you don't realize until you sort of have a chat to these ecologists and biologists to see what, what the hell's going on. Um, so he tested, you know, uh, the water, uh, headed back to the lab and uh, haven't heard from him yet about whether or not there were platypus in the area. We didn't see any, unfortunately, um, which is heartbreaking, but it's not to say that they're not there. They still could be there. But in all the mud, we could see all these footprints of these animals coming down to have a drink. Uh, there were roof footprints. There were uh, wombat footprints. Um, we saw some deer footprints as well. There's a few deer, I think, had escaped. And it was just, again, so quiet and uh, very, very confronting. But we had gone to Victoria, uh, I think, like eight weeks after the fires. But what was really cool is that all the trees were really starting to, to come back. They were all growing back and they were growing all up the trunks and it was something out of like a Dr. Zeus book. They were all fuzzy. The trunks of the tree were all fuzzy and all out to the branches with, with all these brand new growth. So that's really cool to see. And, and we actually did see a few animals as little kangaroos out having a bit of a nibble and it was refreshing to see from being in the Blue Mountains to seeing absolutely nothing to seeing a few survivors come back. So that's been the focus of our uh, stories have been, you know, the recovery and visiting different animals that, um, have made it uh, and, and sort of sharing those stories of hope so it's not all lost yeah and like scenes like that like maybe seeing the footprints by the creek or seeing the ruse off in the distance I'm sure that just gives you hope and it's just it's probably refreshing like you said yeah it's it's very cool to be able to see that and it just it really sort of rocked us to see all of that um, but yeah like I said meeting the scientists and the ecologists that really make a difference these guys are the ones that are finding all the data and figuring out where these animals are. Oh, the other thing, absolutely love this bit. How did I not tell you this? So when I was with Kelly Lee and the Science for mm -hmm. Wildlife, uh -huh. they do uh, detection, uh, dog, dog detection. So they send out, they train dogs to sniff out koala scat, so koala poo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Little, little dog, uh, his name was Smudge, the cutest little thing you've ever seen in his life. He wears a little vest as well, and he... <laughs> gets sent out to find these koala scat. He puts his paw on it as soon as he finds it, places his paw and he barks <laughs> and his train comes over and you look up uh, and you find a koala. So Smudge's job is to find the koalas in all the devastation so they can track them and map them and see, you know, how many are, are out there. So that was really cool. We got to, to follow them around and just see how everyone is doing everything they can for the remaining wildlife. And the biggest issue was that the, the animals that survived now face starvation and dehydration. And the, the huge issue is trying to keep them alive now. And, and that's where the water stations come in and just tracking them to see where they are so that they know where to put these water stations and where to, to put the help so that these animals can actually have a shot at getting through until uh, the area regenerates enough to the point where animals can go back to normal, which I think is a little while off yet. Yeah. Well, thank you for highlighting that and bringing awareness. I'm so happy the focus has been on that because I feel like for here, here in the States, the Australia fires, the media's it's really died down. You know what I mean? It's kind of, it's past its phase in the headlines. And so yeah. I'm happy that you're still bringing awareness and I'm, you know, there's still hope. And I, I don't know if you had the chance to listen to my Australia wildfire episode, but if you haven't go check it out, but there's, you know, there's okay. still hope and there's ways that, you know, people can help even, even from here in Idaho where I am, you know, by donating and supporting great organizations who are helping wildlife. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it, the the support that so many people received when we spoke to them um, was incredible. They received so much support from international companies and organizations and people who lived on the other side of the world. It was crazy. So, But the problem is, is that 
all this support comes in in the first couple of weeks and then it sort of dies off. Um, so what they need now is uh, there's a campaign that's running at the moment is holiday here this year. Um, here I am like advocating Queensland tourism, but it's it's all about come back. You know, Australia is not not all over and done with. Like come and see us, you know, come and support the local people and uh, come and buy fuel and come and fill your eskies with our beer and and just give back to the to the people who have no business at the moment. You know, they've they've lost their their place of business, they've lost their homes. Uh, they they need a little bit more money injected back into that economy. So holiday here this year is something that's happening in Australia at the moment. So if you want. After Yellowstone, pack your bag. And come Do to I Australia. have a free place to stay, or is that? Yeah. <laughs> you can stay. We have a house. If you ever come to Idaho, you have a place to stay. We live on the Snake River. Yeah. And we'll then do we an exchange. Yeah. Let's do an exchange. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Look after your snakes. Yes. You can look after absolutely my plants if you like. Yes. Oh my God. Well, I have plants too. Apparently, my wife has like. 42 plants in the house is just insane okay sidetracked right uh so olivia is there a is there a dream destination i know you've been to a lot of places but what is on your bucket list africa haven't been yet oh you haven't been to Af- i'm sorry i'm just kidding you just you made me feel like that with yellowstone you haven't been to africa I know there was a, uh, an opportunity that it was all happening and then it fell through and oh. um it's a hundred percent on my list and it we actually wanted to go there for our honeymoon but it was so bloody expensive and you know the, the length of time that we wanted to go there and it's never really worked out so uh ideally i want to go there for work because uh, obviously there's so many incredible moments that happen over there and our team uh back in the u.s do a lot of work um in Rotetti in uh and they constantly go over there and I'm thinking, can you fly me back in, please? I know I live in Australia now, but I, yeah. I really miss it. Oh, what, what, what country were you interested in in Africa? Oh, probably Kenya. That's where I went. I would love Kenya. Oh, don't. Kenya. I've been twice and I, I've in love, in love. The Maasai Mara, obviously, you know, part of the Serengeti ecosystem, Lake Nakuru, Lake Navasha. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, I, it's my favorite. I've never felt more at home. I wanted to drop everything and just move to Africa and become a guy. But then I found out they just, it wouldn't have been feasible for me <laughs> to do that. Really? Yeah. Too difficult of visas and all the rest of it. Yeah. That and just, you know, they don't get paid very much and I couldn't leave my animals here. But yeah, it was a, it was a fantasy. But yeah, Africa, hands down. Yeah, you have to go. Yes, so that is that is the dream is to head over to Africa, and uh, I'd love to do Costa Rica as well. I want to do the sloth sanctuary in Costa Rica. That would be incredible. There's there's a few different things on my bucket list for sure, and but that's you know we're only just sort of starting, and um, there's so many stories to tell worldwide, and we just want to be able to do that and get as many cool st- unless you know of any cool stories you want to share with me that we can we can go and film and put it on the channel. Yes, I have. I Maybe have we'll a- come. Yes, I have a great story. Matter of fact, I did a lot of research on you. I just, my wife doesn't even know this. You're okay. You're like, this is breaking news. I adopted five tarantulas. (laughs) And look at my notes. It says scared of spiders. (laughs) 
girl, and of course you found you found that. Yeah. Okay. Five tarantulas. What could you possibly need with five tarantulas? Olivia, it was a rescue, and the grandma oh. was left with the tarantulas, and they were gonna leave them on the porch to die, to freeze in the cold. And she said, if you don't yeah. come get them, they're gonna die. Five of them, though. And you know what, Olivia? I'm not a tarantula expert, and I've looked at some. I can't tell which species is which because some of them have dug crazy tunnels in their enclosures, and some of them are aggressive. I can't. <laughs> my wife's going to uh, be so mad at like, me. I know. So, yeah, I got so, hands in the back of my neck thinking about this. So spiders are the one thing. You wouldn't – have you ever presented with a spider because you had to for TV? Oh, guess who I did that with? Bindi? No, um, Jeff, the nature guy. <gasps> oh, oh my God. Was that good? Let me tell that story. So we were interviewing a, a young girl by the name of Jessica at one of the children's hospitals. And I said to her, as we always do, what would you like us to film? And she said, uh, I'd like you. I know. <laughs> typical. I was like, can't say no to the kids. She said, I would like you to film with a tarantula. And I <laughs> instantly got like sweaty i got like a sweaty upper lip and just got really panicked oh god and i went yep cool sounds good so we got in contact with jeff from zoo montana explained the situation to him and he goes i have the perfect loveliest tarantula for you olivia it's gonna be great i remember not sleeping at all the night before so just just to rewind for a hot sec i uh my fear is I feel as though my fear is, is founded from uh, one particular moment. I was running, uh, I would have been 16 or something, I was running in the bush, and are you familiar with golden orb spiders? Oh, yes. Yes. Beautiful, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> they, they have the thickest, for anyone who doesn't know what a golden orb spider is, they have the thickest webs. They're like rope. And this massive golden orb was, was strung up in this tree. I don't know what I was doing. I must have been looking at the ground or something. Anyway, I've run head on into it so that the spider is the, in contact with my face and the web has wrapped itself <laughs> around my face so that the spider is trapped on my face. Oh and my it, was, it was like crawling to try and get out and I was flipping out. I'd like stripped myself of all my clothes. I was running and just carrying on like a pork chop. It was absolutely insane. I eventually, I think, ridded myself of a spider. I, I don't know what happened to it, but I had to sit down, you know, and just really have a bit of a think about what had just happened. And then a week later, a huntsman spider, I don't know if you know about them, they're very common uh, in Queensland where I'm from, was in the shower on the ceiling jumped on my face so we've had two, two face spiders in one week and that was it for me ever since then i look at a spider i feel it on me i feel its legs on my face and it, i've just been done so anyway fast forward to god i was 26 years of age and here comes jeff the nature guy holding this giant tarantula and they oh he invited a media team as well the local <laughs> Was there to see scared Australian lady holding tarantula. Fabulous. Let's do this. So he's got, oh God, I can still feel like it was yesterday. Our hands are out there. They're fully shaking. And he's like, oh, well, if your hands are, you know, not really stable, you might need to stop shaking. And I'm like trying really hard not to. Tears are rolling down my face. I've got two sets of cameras on me trying to remain composed. 
and he knew that I was I was really struggling. And Jeff is absolutely amazing, and he's talking because I'm not doing any talking at this point. Not a word has come out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm hosting the show, and there's nothing coming out of my mouth. So I'm full crying. I've got the spider in my hands, and he's explaining it. He's talk- I, I honestly couldn't tell you what he said. No idea because I wasn't listening. It was just. Is it going to jump on me? Is it going to be on my face? I could feel it. All I wanted to do was just flick that thing all the way back to Australia. There was just it, oh. anyway. It was. It started to move a little bit, and it was okay. And then, sort of after about ten minutes, I realized, you know, it just sits there. It doesn't really do yeah, a whole yeah. lot. They're super easy. Yeah, and that's that's great. You know, we're all learning here, and I think I eventually got my words back in my mouth, and I started talking to camera and explaining to the kids like this isn't that bad. Like wiping the tears away with one hand and holding. <laughs> Rantula with another. <laughs> it was a very intense moment. And uh, then after a while, I was sort of comfortable. And since that moment, I'm, I'm not great with spiders, but I'm definitely better with With spiders? You just cut out. Like, I, <laughs> it's been good this whole time. Olivia, are you there? Oh, hold on. Well, thank you so much for watching the animals. Oh, there you are. You're back. <laughs> Can, am I back? Oh no! What happened? Oh, there you go. You just the connection, but you said that you're you're good with spiders now. Yes, um, I think we our relationship is. I think we we just live alongside each other. There's no love. There won't be love, but there will definitely be. Um, we're just cool with each other. Is is how we are with spiders at the moment. So that Jeff really helped me there, and he got me over my fears, which was really cool. Yeah, I uh, one of my buddies had and i'm not really scared of spiders but he had a goliath bird eating spider and they're as big as a dinner plate and this one was a little smaller but it was like i mean it was it was like a it was huge and he's like oh do you want to hold her and i was like uh and i'm like okay you know and i'm like i'm like yeah sure so i'm holding it my wife's taking photos and i am just the thing is massive it takes two hands to hold and they're known to be aggressive but this one was completely like fine but i was like i i was ready for it to go and I, my, my wife was like you just look so nervous in the photo i was like babe like <laughs> it was it was was it heavy was there like a lot of mass yes yes and i'm used to rose hairs which i'm sure that's what you had a rose hair or a red yeah rose hair yep so rose hairs fit as you know in your hand when you have two hands for a tarantula that was like too much and you could feel the lay it just was like yeah i'm good oh no thank you no but it's it's good once you sort of get over that though and um i now I, i even sort of mentioned to the young lady as well I thanked her for for putting me on that because I never would have done that without her encouraging me to do it so I I hope she enjoyed the episode because it wasn't the best one I didn't really say anything but in the end I, I I appreciate what she made me do is facing your fears and just getting it done there you go. Thank you, Jessica. Well, Olivia, we are nearing an hour. I just want to thank you so much. I have one last question for you. You ready? Yes. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh, um, I'd love to have my own show on TV would be, would be great. Just doing something sort of similar to what I'm doing and just going on incredible adventures and just telling people's stories, being able to meet people like the researchers and the ecologists that I've met and sharing their stories and, and showing the incredible behind the scenes stuff that goes on that not a lot of people know about and these these the, the, the real MVPs these people and and being able to share that that side of not only our country but internationally as well so that would be absolutely amazing if I could do that in 10 years time 
Wow. Well, you are great at what you do. And I'm not just telling you that you're so good. And where can my followers, you know, follow you? Or I guess, I guess listeners, where, where, where can they find you? I mostly share my stories on Instagram. Uh, and I, my handle is uh, Olivia underscore J underscore D. So okay. you can check out all of our adventures on there and uh, follow San Diego Zoo Kids on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and uh, San Diego Zoo on Instagram too, if you want to catch up with any of the baby animals that they've got going on there or any other cool stuff that San Diego Zoo does. So there's plenty of online platforms to follow us on. That's awesome. Olivia, thank you so much. I had such a fun night talking to you. Seriously, thank you for taking the time. <laughs> thank you for having me. I love listening to your, to your episodes and there's so many uh, incredible people that you've spoken to and some of them I've had the pleasure of working with as well. So you do an amazing job and I think I speak on behalf of all of them to be to say thank you for what you do. So thanks. Thank you so much. Okay, we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you next time. Hopefully, you'll come back on the show in a year and keep us updated. I will. See you later, mate. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.